0: Hey, my name is Dustin, and this is my wife, Mandy, and we want to say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. This is Heart for the House Sunday. We've been looking forward to this. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the entire year. I find myself saying that a lot, but I just have a lot of favorite Sundays, but this is one of them. And um I'm going to recap just a little bit of what we're giving to today and even for the rest of the month. You're able to give to our Heart for the House um an initiative endeavors through the end of the month. But today's the day that we've been praying about for the last month or so. Where we're asking ourselves, what is God wanting me to give? What is God wanting our family to give and to sow into this house? The series we've been in is as for me in this house. And then we're ending today with a Heart for the House uh, message and a heart for the house offering. Um, the endeavors that we're giving to this year, like I mentioned, our anchor project this year is opening a brand new preschool at our north campus uh, called Foundations Preschool. In week one, I talked about the importance of a strong foundation under the feet of the next generation, the importance of, of biblical literacy and biblical morality to where the next generation knows how much God loves them and knows what he says truth is and will forever be. So that is our main anchor project that we're giving to this year. We also talked about um, a family in our church, an amazing family in our church, and wanting to continue to do this in the future for other families. We believe so strongly in adoption, and we believe so strongly in life, that sometimes uh, the the means of adoption can get extremely costly. And for those in this house that feel a calling to do that as a part of our Heart for the House offering to invest not only in the entity or the place, but also the people, we're coming alongside Tyler and Marley Davis to help an adoption come to pass. And we're gonna believe uh, the, the child that they'll be adopting will one day be running through our building, receiving Christ as their savior, learning the Bible, and we get to invest there. And then last week, we talked about the importance of the church. I said, "I love, I love my church. I love Citizen Church." But there's one thing I love more than my church—it's the church. And every year, we give a portion of our heart for the house offering to our co-church network. Um, we have uh, we have almost a hundred churches in our network that we're giving resources to and investing into their churches and into the pastors' lives. And and we as a church are committed not only to this house but the house, the church. And we talked about how we have an apostolic calling, but then not only to co-church, but also um, we also talked about last week that we are going to be investing in a brand new church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona called Valley Church with Chris and Connor Moore. We're coming alongside them in a major way. Uh, They are joining our co-church network. They're going to be a sister church of ours. And I cannot wait to be able to recommend this church. And as they start having all of their interest meetings, we're gonna keep all of that information in front of you. But this is an amazing couple called by God that that are a part of our network. And we're gonna be introducing them to you in person at our rally conference in February. So there's a lot happening. We're giving to even more things in our Heart for the House offering that I had time to even mention in this series. But we also set out a very lofty goal because to see all of this come to pass, we set out a goal at the very beginning of this series, a stretch goal of $1 million coming into this Heart for the House offering. Last year, we set a goal of $500,000 and almost $700,000 came into the offering. And we just felt as a leadership team that God was, was quickening our hearts to step out in faith and to say, we believe that every endeavor... That we're setting out to accomplish in 2024 can be done if every person sacrifices something in this heart for the house offering. It's such a privilege to be able to sow into an institution, into an organization that matters for eternity. Do you guys believe that today? Are you excited about all of these endeavors? So I I remember, I'll never forget the year 2010, one of the biggest years of my life, because that was the year I met Mandy, my wife. We started dating in the summer of 2010. We ended up getting married in the fall of 2011. But I, re- I remember quickly as we started dating, I remember quickly understanding this this, this woman, I almost said this girl, she's a woman. This woman, this is the one. And let me just, let me just say, if, if you're married, you you know the difference between some of the people you dated versus when you started dating the one. You just started seeing the world differently. Mandy lived across the country in Alabama. Our, our, our whole relationship up until a couple of months before we got married was long distance. But I remember as we started dating and I started falling more and more and more in love with her, there was this moment that fall where I just knew we are getting married. And the moment I knew that this extravagant love that I had for her, when I had that level of love, that extravagant love, started turning into an extravagant mindset with everything that I had. I started looking at my savings account a little differently, thinking that needs to increase. I started looking at my checking account. I started becoming a saver. I started buying furniture for a future house. Over the course of us getting engaged before her and the kids that she had moved out here. Don't, don't worry. I was living with my parents. She didn't, we don't move in together because we're Christians and we wait till marriage, right? Okay. So anyways, different sermon, different topic, but okay. But, but, but she moved out. I got a house ready for them. I saved. I did everything I could. I, I I did. I got furniture ready. I was saving for the ring, saving for the honeymoon. I looked at everything I had, and because of the extravagant love that I felt for her, I started extravagantly giving because of an extravagant mindset. We view everything we have in a completely different way when we experience a love unlike anything we've ever had. When we look at our relationship with God and when we talk about generosity, we talk about really anything if we truly have this extravagant love for God and for his house, heart for the house, we begin to see what we have as not something that has us, but something we have that God may want to use for his kingdom that matters for eternity. Psalm 26, eight says, Lord, I love the refuge I find in your house, the place where your glory dwells. That's King David writing. I love the refuge I find in your house. Do you love the house of God? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 12. And there's a story here about an extravagant love that someone had toward Jesus. And it resulted in an an extravagant response of generosity toward Jesus. John 1 through eight starts like this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. If you don't know where Bethany is, it is, it's like a tiny little suburb of Jerusalem, just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And this is interesting. Came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And in verse two, here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. "'Then Mary,' Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, remember that, "'then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, "'an expensive perfume. "'She poured it on Jesus' feet "'and wiped his feet with her hair. "'And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. "'But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, "'who was later to betray him, objected, "'Why wasn't this perfume sold "'and the money given to the poor? "'It was worth a year's wages.'" He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And in verse seven, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she save this perfume to prepare my body for burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I, I w- I've been researching this passage for the last week or so for this message. And there are like 15 sermons in my head that I wanted to preach from this, but I'm like, nope, got to reel that in and only do one. We've only got this short time, but this is loaded with amazing information about Jesus and his heart and what's happening at this time period. But the point of this story, the The main part of this story is the response of Mary. Who is this Mary? This Mary in this story is not the Mary, mother of Jesus. It's not Mary Magdalene. This is Mary, who is the sister of Martha, and they are the sisters of Lazarus, who lived in Bethany. So I want to look today at this. I want to look at this concept of extravagant giving. Because a heart for the house offering is not tithes. It's not just the tithes and offerings like we do every week. This is a moment for this offering where we give that we have strategically prayed and asked God to place something in our hearts. A number that stretches us for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom of God. I've mentioned many times when I've talked about finances, the church doesn't want your money. I don't want your money. But God wants to use what we have to build what he wants to build on earth, the kingdom of God, which will go beyond this life into eternity. And our posture as believers is to say, God, what I have is yours. So when we give extravagantly, if you want to take notes, jot these things down. When we give extravagantly, number one, we are seeing with spiritual eyes. When we give extravagantly, we are seeing with spiritual eyes. In the story, Mary saw something that the other disciples didn't see. Think about the the biblical heroes that were in this room. You have Peter, James, John, Andrew. You have, I mean, these are the guys, these are the apostles that the church would be built on. But Mary saw something in the spiritual that they were not seeing because they were only seeing in the physical. One of the most comical parts of reading the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is how much the disciples don't get it until they finally get it. I mean, I'm looking at them and it makes me feel so much better about myself when I'm reading the Bible sometimes and I just don't feel like I get it, Jesus had to say the same thing over and over and over to them. But in this story, Mary understood something because she saw something that they did not see. She was thinking this, looking at the room. Jesus is up to something and I wanna be a part of it. I don't just wanna see with physical eyes, I want to see with spiritual eyes. Jesus was talking about and prophesying about a burial, He's been teaching them and talking about how he's going to die and come back to life. And the disciples are like, ah, oh, nah, he probably won't. I, I don't know. I mean, we, he's saying this, but it's, I mean, he's probably speaking like poetic language. We, we don't know. But Mary's saying, no, he's calling himself the Passover lamb. He's the lamb of God. He's going to Jerusalem. He has a plan and Mary saw it and they didn't. And she's thinking, I want to be a part of that. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and to us today. And he says this, starting in 17, I thank God continually for you. And I never give up praying for you. And this is my prayer that God, the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the all glorious father will give you wisdom and the spiritual sight to know more of him. That you may receive the inner illumination of the Holy Spirit, which will make you realize how great is the hope to which he is calling you. The magnificence and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians. What I'm asking you to do today in light of this heart for the house offering is not to just see in the physical. I want you to look beyond a building that we're going to have a preschool in. Look beyond just a picture of a family that we're going to help plant a church in Phoenix. Look beyond the picture of the, of the couple that will be adopting this child, and I want us to look into eternity, and I want us to see what Jesus might be up to, and just like Mary, say, I think I want to be a part of that. What's my response going to be when I see into the spiritual and not just with the physical? When I lean into the Holy Spirit and say, give me wisdom and insight to see God, what are you doing in and through this house? And do you want me to be a part of that? The Apostle Paul is challenging the church of Ephesus, just like I'm challenging us through this series, in faith to give. And he's saying true spiritual maturity is seeing into the spiritual and beyond what you see. And Mary did that day. Number two, when we give extravagantly, something breaks. When we give extravagantly, something breaks. What do I mean by that? This story is told in several of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's told in several of those. And in Mark's version of this, he writes this in Mark fourteen three. Now, while Jesus was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil from pure nard. And then it says, after breaking open the jar, she poured it on his head. After breaking open the jar. So, I mean, they're all reclining at the table and here comes Mary. And she has this jar and, and, and I, I, what is this scene? And part of me thinks this was extremely moving. And then part of me thinks I'm wondering because some of these disciples were kind of goobers. Are they looking at her like laughing? Like, what is Mary doing? This is awkward. Or was it this moment of just serenity and were they in awe of what was about to happen? She walks up and takes this jar. This jar we find in, in one of the books was 300 denarii which would be the equivalent today of $30,000. A year's wages for Mary. This wasn't just, I'm gonna go get my perfume that, that costs 50 bucks. This was a year's wages that she had saved up for future things that may happen in her home. But something broke. Something had to break when we give extravagantly. And there's two quick things I wanna say about this. When we give extravagantly, something breaks First of all, in us, when we give extravagantly, when we move beyond the obedience level of giving with tithing and we move into a realm of, I'm gonna pray because that that prayer, I'm telling you, there are certain prayers, there's like a handful of prayers that are a little scary to pray. One of those is, God, how much do you want me to give? Because oftentimes God's response isn't an answer to that question. His response is, how much should I let you keep? Because extravagant giving is opening up our lives and saying, what I have is yours, and trusting God with the outcome if we listen to his voice and say, okay. Something breaks in us because the will of people, if you're like me, it is not easy to move into a realm of extravagant generosity. It's not. Something has to break. That's why the Bible calls it sacrifice. The word sacrifice literally implies that something is dying. Now, that's probably a bad angle to go when I'm getting ready to take an offering. But let me tell you this. It's not that something dies, but something in me does because I'm sacrificing. There's a certain level of, of, of thinking about me. There's something in me that has to break in order to do something like Mary did, because even the other disciples didn't move into that level of extravagant giving. 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David said this, I love this, under no circumstances will I offer up to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. You want to know what it means for something to break in us? It costs you. Week one, I told you when we're praying about this offering, this is the terminology that Mandy and I have been praying. We've already given in our heart for the house offering online. We've already given our offering. I said, Mandy, when we first started thinking about it, I want it to be a number that stings, cost, sacrifice, but not a number that debilitates. And I want us to hear what God is telling us. Sacrifice stings, but with sacrifice comes true offerings. And David's saying, under no circumstance, am I gonna offer God something that doesn't cost me something? But also, so something breaks in us, but also I love this, something breaks for us. There are things in our lives, if you're like me, that you've been asking God, I I need this thing to break. I I need the stronghold to break. I I need the lid at, at my work. I need the lid on my life. I need something to break in my life. But when we allow ourselves to move into extravagant generosity, something breaks in us. But at the same time, biblically, something breaks for us. Oftentimes the things we want God to do for us, the miracles and the multiplication in our lives, the breakthrough are on the other side of the breaking found in the extravagant offering. What we want, the miracles and the multiplications are are found on the other side of the breaking when we step out and give in an extravagant way. And I wanna be clear, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. If you've heard me preach on this, I make it clear. God is not a give to get God. He's not. But at the same time, I was, I was literally saying this to Mandy yesterday. This is, this is the most simple yet complex thing to teach on. He's not a give to get God. He's not. Because that mindset tries to control God. And he doesn't work like that. But he is the God of seed time and harvest. When I sow, something comes out of the ground. When I give, God says, I will bless. But what we do over here is we go, well, I, I'm gonna give to get blessed. And God, I'm gonna tell you exactly how I wanna be blessed. If I give $500, I need 5,000 in return. That's <laughs> prosperity gospel. That's weird, that's dumb. But over here, we're saying, God, that's the number you're telling me to give? Okay, that's gonna, that's gonna cause a little bit of breaking in here. But I'm, go- I'm gonna do that. But on the other side of breaking is break. Through. There is something that you're believing for that un- is unlocked when we go above and beyond in extravagance in a response to love and gratitude toward God. It's about breakthrough. It's not about getting rich. It's not about the return. It's about what does God have and restore for me. It's about a biblical pattern and principle that we see all the way through. I, I love this connection. I love this. Matthew 14, 19 is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We, we know this story. If, if you've been in church at all, you might know a little bit of this story. So there's uh, 5,000 men, maybe 15,000 people. Jesus has been teaching all day, right? No food. The disciples present this problem to Jesus. Jesus says, go find what you can. They come by, back and say, we found um, one little boy. There's five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. That's all we got. That's all we got, right? Matthew 14, 19, this is what happens. He took, look at the wording. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up toward heaven. He blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Look at the sequence. He took them, set them apart in his hands. He blessed them. He broke them and he gave them, and in the giving was the multiplication and miracle that was needed. This exact wording, okay, on the other side of breaking was the miracle. Uh, This exact wording, exact wording, is also found in Matthew 26, 26 through 30 in the Last Supper. Pay attention to this. Matthew 26, 26 through 30 says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. There is this biblical pattern and sequence that God uses in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is things like this that make Bible study fun and fascinating, because there are patterns all the way through. But notice the order, notice the order. The multiplication and miracle always comes after the breaking. There's a moment of putting something in God's hands. He's blessing it, breaking it, and giving it, and offering the multiplication. I want you to think about what God did. Oftentimes as a pastor, I'll say, I'll never ask you to do something that we won't do. We've already given in this offering in a sacrificial way. But what's on a larger, crazier scale is God will never ask us to do something that he is not willing to do. When it comes to this, I want you to look at this. God set Jesus apart gave Jesus to the incarnation, through the incarnation, blessed him at his baptism, broke him on Calvary at the crucifixion and gave him to the world through the resurrection and the multiplying miraculous power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. God, again, he took Jesus, he blessed Jesus, broke Jesus and gave Jesus. And God does the same thing for you. He takes you and he took you apart. He separated you from your old life. He blessed you with purpose and calling in your life. He broke you, but not to harm you, not out of anger and not to punish you so that you could be given to the world as a miraculous multiplier of the blessing and testimony of what God has done in your life. Miracles and multiplication come after the breaking. They come after the breaking. So many Christians run from the breaking But the breaking leads straight to the miracle and the multiplication. I think many of us today, many of us today, what my prayer is that we would move into this next level of breaking open an extravagant offering. Like I said earlier, I don't want anyone to do something on a whim. I believe that this kind of giving needs to be a strategic response to God, not to a pastor. But I do want to tell you, think in an extravagant way. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit to really show you what he wants you to do and trust God with the outcome. Number three is this. We, when we give extravagantly, atmospheres change. When we give extravagantly, atmospheres change. I love this. This is a short little point, but it's, I love this. John 12, three says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And I love this. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You could also say the house was filled with the fragrance of the offering. Filled with the fragrance of her love response to Jesus. Atmospheres change when we give extravagantly. Think about worship. Money is not the only way to give. When we worship, atmospheres change when we give our worship extravagantly to God. Atmospheres change when we give extravagantly financially with our time and our resources. Atmospheres change. You can truly sense the presence of God. Atmospheres change in our homes when our kids know that we are strategically generous with the church. We talk to our kids about what we give. We talk to our kids about how we're gonna budget here and we're gonna sacrifice here because the house of God is what we're giving our lives to not just because we're pastors, but because we're believers and want to be a part of what God is building around the world that will last forever. We get our kids involved in the giving. We show them because we want the atmosphere to change. When I'm placing God as the priority, when I'm listening to his voice about what to do in a situation like this with an extravagant offering opportunity, then I'm, when I'm obeying that, then my relationship with him is closer and all of a sudden the atmosphere can change in my own mind. And again, it's not about an offering. I'm talking about an extravagant lifestyle with giving, not getting. Because people in our country and in our world pursue an extravagant lifestyle of receiving and getting. But the call biblically is to reverse that. And to truly understand that atmospheres can change in our lives when we do. Number four is this. When we give extravagantly, legacy is established. Legacy is established. Matthew 26, 13, in Matthew's version of the story, it says this, Matthew 26, 13, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. That's how big of a statement this is. Right after she pours out the ointment. What she has done will also be told in memory of me. Wait, it doesn't say that, does it? This is Jesus talking. And he says, what she has done will also be told in memory of who? Her. Now, let me tell you, I'm the first person to give all glory to God because he deserves it. Right, we plant, we water, the New Testament says, but he brings the growth, period. But there's also an allowance because Jesus is saying, your legacy is important. Her legacy and memory was important. And because of an extravagant gift and offering, she did something that day that would matter for eternity. She understood that day. I love this because Jesus talked about the burial. He stopped his disciples from getting mad and said, She's preparing my body for burial. She understood something about what he was doing. She was sowing into the importance of the gospel, the death and resurrection. She was sowing into what Jesus was building for the future. And he said, because she prepared my body for burial, people will talk about her forever. You wanna know something about the day Jesus died? That day Jesus died because the Passover and the Sabbath were coming so quickly, the day he died, they did not have time to prepare his body for burial. That's why the women went back on Easter Sunday morning to push back the stone to uh, to anoint his body with oil and all the fragrances because his body was not prepared for burial, but it was. Six days before that, Jesus literally says it with his own mouth because she saw what you did not see, she is doing what most will think was left undone because she was sowing into the future and building a legacy for her forever. I think it's amazing. I'll say this. When we give to the house of God, we're giving to the work of the gospel. I know there's distrust out there with some people in churches. I know some people have hurt in their past with churches. I have said this Many times in our church, what I'm mostly proud of with our finances is the accountability, strategy, and intentionality behind everything we do. I do not call the shots on the money in our church. We have a New Testament model of a board of directors and elders where we work meticulously together, forming budgets and strategies for the future. Every penny and dollar is approved because we take it seriously, because we know that legacy is important. We know your legacy is important. I think there's nothing, nothing, Better we can give to than the house of God. One day at my funeral, the greatest compliment that someone could give me is he gave his life to the church, to people, to the kingdom of God, to the gospel and the future. And that's exactly what Jesus said about Mary. No organization or institution in the entire world other than the church, other than the church, has eternal impact. Number five, when we give extravagantly, we are responding with gratitude. When we give extravagantly, we are responding with gratitude. John 12, one through two, again, at the beginning of the story says this, pay attention here to a the, to the couple of these names. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where who? You guys reading with me? Where who? Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That was about a month and a half before this, by the way. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. What I like doing about, with Bible stories is to get it to not be just words on a page. I'll read it, and then I sit back and I imagine it. It's got to sink into my heart. I, we've got to get this from words off the page into something that we can see. Jesus, just two chapters earlier, a month and a half earlier, comes to Bethany four days late, according to the people. Lazarus, one of his best friends had already died. One of the gospels says his body had been in there so long it had already started to stink in the tomb. Jesus comes through this sequence, walks out to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. This dude whose body was already starting to decompose comes out of the grave fully alive. And he's just walking around in Bethany. So Jesus, a month and a half later, brings his disciples back. And this is almost like a thank you dinner for that. They're lounging at the table. And now picture the scene. Mary and Martha are working together. They're sisters and they're preparing the meal. Martha, even in the other stories, was the one that was really working. And then Mary's the one that's like, you know, you can tell Mary's not the best at just wanting to do things. So she's like, where's Jesus kind of thing, right? So, but in this story though, they're both working. And this is what I imagine. Mary turns around, everybody's laughing and they're eating something and people are telling stories and she turns around and she looks into the other room while her and Martha are preparing the meal and she sees her brother Lazarus reclining next to Jesus, laughing. And I can imagine the scene in that moment, this response with gratitude, something extravagant began to rise up in her. She had to have seen something to stop everything she was doing, take off the apron, take off the towel, go back into the back room and not find something of value. But the most valuable thing in her home, you can picture tears streaming down her face. And she takes this valuable extravagant offering off the shelf. And while the disciples are still laughing and talking with Jesus and Lazarus, tears streaming down her face, she walks up to Jesus. She gets down on her knees and she looks at him and breaks open the jar, silence in the room. She's looking at Jesus and she's looking at her brother. And this is what she's thinking. I'm so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with extravagant response of love and offering, because what was dead has come back to life. And this is the man who did it. I will give everything to the man who brought my brother from death to life. When I read that in this story this time, I couldn't help but think this. When I give here, when I'm tithing, when we're giving in heart for the house, I think about my kids from death to life. And they're at the table with Jesus. I think about many of you when you look on the rows to your left and to your right, there was a father who spiritually went from death to life because of Jesus in the house of God. There was a son or a daughter, a young adult, a teenager, your father, your mother. There's a Lazarus at your table. And he went from death to life. And I can't help just like Mary to just stop what I'm doing and say, how can I just let this go by and have a casual dinner? when the man who defied death conquered, it's about to conquer death, is sitting in my living room. I'm gonna bring an extravagant offering that matters eternally, so more people, what Mary's thinking, can be like my brother Lazarus. You know what I love about our vision for 2024? Is it's not about buildings. We are gonna be building, but it's not about buildings. It's not about coffee shops. It's not about even church buildings in Phoenix. When we give in an offering like this, we give for one reason. So God is glorified. And so Lazarus can go from death to life. The testimonies that will come from 2024 will be amazing. I had a pastor friend text me yesterday and said, I was praying for your offering and I feel very strongly that God gave me a word for you. And what's so funny is it's ended up being the exact same thing. Mandy said to me about an hour earlier, standing in our bedroom, we were talking about our, my sermon. He didn't know any clue about what I was preaching on. And I was thinking, Mandy and I were thinking about, you know, what was interesting about the story of Mary. When you think about that sequence, God took it, set it apart, blessed it, broke it, gave it. Where's the blessing in that sequence? At the end or the beginning? Beginning. The blessing is before the breaking, but the miracle and the multiplication. I think sometimes we say, God, if I give this, will you bless me? And what God is saying is, you have the order wrong. I've blessed you. Now give and watch the multiplication. The blessing was already in the house. Mary didn't have to go find something, she had the blessing. I think many people go, I, I'm not blessed enough to do. I, I, I'm, not ble- I, I'm gonna wait till God blesses me. And God's saying, I've already blessed you. I've already blessed you. But when we give, watch the multiplication. And this is what my pastor friend said. After all that, he had no clue what I'm preaching on. He said, here's your word that I feel like God's speaking over you. The blessing is already in the house.